This is the Westside King's Church Podcast, where we aim to encounter and embody the surprising grace of Jesus. All right. Well, welcome back, uh, Brian. It's been uh, a little bit. We had you know, our Christmas break, but it's uh, nice to be back here uh, together talking about um, the subject of, of grief, which I think certainly there's, you know, quite a few people during the Christmas season and, and over the holidays and, and certainly over sort of this new um, surge of, of COVID that we're experiencing. There's definitely, I know, uh, quite a few people who are struggling with, uh, with grief and, and the aspects of grief and understanding, um, you know, what it is. And, and some of what we'll get to today is sort of that intersection of grief and faith and how we can understand those. Um, but maybe if you want to, um, actually, before you do, uh, I'll, I'll let you intro yourself again, just to kind of remind people, um, sort of, of your background quickly and, and where we're headed with this podcast. But before we get into that, I just want to send a little bit of a reminder to those that are listening um, that we do have uh, pastoral care available that, um, you know, these subjects that we're talking about certainly carry a lot of weight and, and sometimes they bring back feelings and thoughts and, and you might have need somebody to process those with. And so we definitely have people here that if you feel like you need to reach out and talk to someone, you can contact us at care at wkc.org. And then also we do have wonderful resources of um, mental health professionals that we can refer people to if, if you're seeking that kind of support as well. So Brian, yeah, I will turn it over to you to do a quick little uh, intro recap and we'll get into today's session. Well, great. Thanks, Kristen. And um, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this session that we kind of shift gears a little bit. And uh, hopefully the first two weeks uh, helped uh, to give a context to grief. I think uh, grief has its part and an understanding of that grief has its part. Um, but I also think there's uh, an understanding uh, of the nature of God is important and uh, where our faith fits within grief. And I think it's, it's valuable, it's sustaining. So we're going to talk about that uh, this session and next. And then we're going to move into kind of what we can do uh, to try to move forward. And with grief, I think I mentioned it's about moving forward, but trying to find ways to stay connected with those that we love. And, uh, and hopefully we find ways to do that. So hopefully last the last two sessions, um, we're able to give a little bit of that context. We talked a little bit about loss as a loss of anything we value. Uh, we looked at it in the context of, you know, personal losses and different situations and circumstances that may involve that loss. We also talked about COVID and just uh, what's unfolding in our culture around us within the side of our communities and how that affects um, our lives and how we interact with others. So my background, just to touch on that, I'm a hospital chaplain in hospital care for six years and um, in smaller hospitals and large hospitals. And then for 17 years, I was with the grief support program and was able to be with individuals in grieving and also facilitate grief loss uh, groups. And so um, I bring that kind of experience into this podcast. I've never had a really a chance to sit back and reflect on it a little bit. So this has been really nice to be able to do that. So within the last two weeks, um, hopefully, uh, for those who have dialed in here or called in or having a look at what we're doing, it's uh, an understanding about grief. 
Hopefully it helps you or helps those that you're supporting. Hopefully you've got an understanding of their situation a little bit better and hopefully a little bit of direction because in grief, we need to know where we're going. Um, we talked a little bit about grief styles and not everybody grieves the same way and it can shift a little bit. We talked about feeling grief styles and thinking and doing styles of grief and just to be able to acknowledge that everybody grieves, but we just, what we see in individuals and, in, and what we experience in ourselves can be different. And hopefully it just increased your perspective a little bit about the experiences of grief and how they fit in to be able to find that way to move forward as we transition. And uh, more than anything, I think as we move through life, we come alongside people, we never know when, and hopefully it gives us a little bit more of an understanding of when we do be called into somebody's life to be able to walk with them. It gives us a little bit of an understanding of where they're at and enables us to be a little bit better provider of yeah. care. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Brian. Um, so I think the first place we're going to go this morning is um, we're going to revisit that valley of grief. I think we had ended session two sort of uh, talking about that um, a little bit. Um, so yeah, why don't you walk us through that uh, valley of grief as it, as it is and kind of explain how, how that works. Yeah. And I think I shared that this kind of idea, this, um, <clears throat> This valley uh, was a concept with a group of individuals who were going through a very difficult uh, valley and um, were challenged to try to put it into an image of what grief looks like. And they came up with this idea of the valley of grief. It was originally called the valley of despair. And it's a valley. And uh, there's five, six threads going through that valley. And uh, we talked a little bit about them in the last couple of weeks that when we grieve, it impacts us physically, it impacts us cognitively, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. And the sixth thread is that thread of trauma that's kind of with us as we go through. And I think most loss is trauma to a certain degree. It impacts us not just cognitively, emotionally, but at the very depths of our soul and uh, really resonates at, at that level that is kind of with us as we navigate through this valley. And hopefully we learn to look but not linger. I think that's the goal. But um, when we're in that valley, um, it increases our distress while at the same time is decreasing our ability to cope. So it's a vulnerable place to be. And I think sometimes we need help to get through the valley. It's hard to reach out sometimes when you're in the valley. But we're going to fall back on this idea of the valley as we talk about uh, spirituality and grief. We're going to focus a little bit more on that spiritual thread, not only just if we're in grief, but if we're supporting others because our faith becomes so important. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to being able to navigate through that valley and hopefully not finding ourselves lingering in it. Yeah. I really like that saying, being able to look but not linger. I think that that when people look at maybe sort of healing and, and a journey towards kind of recovering from grief or trauma, that's sort of like a key phrase that I think makes a lot of sense that it doesn't go away and it's not that you forget, um, but that it, it doesn't, you don't have to linger there. Like you don't have to sit in it for, for as long you can look at it and it, it comes up, it bubbles up, but it, it's not something that you have to sit in for long periods of time. Yeah, and realizing that to get to that point, um, I like to give grief big time windows, and there are always times that we may be pulled back, but hopefully navigate forward and we find the strengths and the wherewithal to be able to kind of be able to acknowledge and move forward. So 
I speak from a place of uh, I've had personal valleys that I've walked through starting when I was young, different health issues, different uh, family issues. I found over the years that that valley is not a comfortable place to be, but it is part of our human experience. And then I've been in those valleys professionally. I was a hospital chaplain for those six years and then a grief counselor for 17, but you're always still a chaplain. You wear the two hats simultaneously. Mm. And I think even in the work that we do, we can kind of be pulled into those valleys and it can be very, very difficult. And I think even as I look what's unfolding in COVID world out there, there's some people in some pretty difficult valleys right now. And it is about personal issues, but <clears throat> it's also about what's happening professionally around them within their, um, within their um, um, different professions. Yeah. So the one thing I learned uh, personally and, and uh, as a chaplain and a grief counselor is the things that sustained me it very much anchored me in both uh, was understanding the nature of God. Mm. that being able to know where is God in our in our heart where is God as we navigate through it and for me uh, to be able to thankfully understand that has helped me get through that valley quicker but also it's not just the nature of God but it's a place of faith and grace in our grief mm. so we're going to stop and we're going to pause this week and next week to look at the nature of God and the faith and grace in our grief as both something that can sustain us, can provide us comfort, but it's going to take a a little bit of understanding. Yeah, that's really helpful, Brian. Thank you. And I look forward to to that conversation. Um, Before we sort of dive into that, I know you have a poem that you um, would like to read called Survival. Um, I would love to, to hear that. I've heard of one of the other poems that I think you'll read maybe next week, but Yeah, this was uh, written by an individual who who had been in a very difficult valley, carried a a faith, but was, you know, trying to find her way through. And one of the ways that helped her find a way through and give understanding to her grief was to write about it. Mm -hmm. So she started to write some poems and I got her permission to read this, but it's called Survival. And I love that, that title because when we're in the midst of it, it is survival. And here's what she penned. I open my eyes and it happens. I look outside and it happens. It can be on John Laurier, it can be in the co-op or it can be in a parkade, but it happens. It's difficult what comes first, the massive knot in my stomach or the clenching grip on my heart, but every day it seems to happen. And now it can be every moment of every day. My throat seems to close, my heart pounds, I can't breathe when it happens nauseousness and pain and tears it happens it's gut-wrenching choke holds fear there's this swirling and swallowing me whole when it happens and from well-meaning souls they say do something fun get on with your day but this grief is invisible consuming it's insane but it continues to happen i need to breathe i need to trust and pray Each moment is a gift. I get it. Yet on the edge as it happens, it is only grace that's going to get me through today. Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you for reading that, Brian. That's, uh, yeah, certainly just really powerful um, person's account of their own grief. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Yeah. And I would imagine that you uh, encounter as a, as a 
in pastoral care, people yeah. who are in similar, similar, similar valleys. Yeah. And what I think really speaks to me in that poem is just like it, that part where it says like the people, well-meaning people say these things, right. Of give you advice or how to get through, but you know, really the, every grief is just so individual. It's so personal and there isn't, um, nobody gets it because you are journeying your own path. Um, with all the experiences and and uh, everything that has come before that loss or that grief has has occurred. So, um, it, working in pastoral care, I obviously have the privilege of journeying with people in our community, and I oftentimes get this this question. Uh, um, it's this felt tension between the experience of grief and and faith and how they can possibly intersect. And I, I feel like sometimes there seems to be this feeling of guilt or questioning of faith um, in the presence of grief, which comes from either external or internal pressures that say like, well, you can't have um, the right kind of faith and still grieve, or, or it must be that you're not praying the right prayers, or you're, you're not faithful enough, or you haven't read the right Bible verses. Um, because if you did, then, you know, the grief would, would shrink on its own. Um, and, and I feel like people carry guilt and a bit of shame around their grief. Um, because like you had alluded to before, Brian, like you had talked about how what got you through was like understanding God and God's character. And that's where we're going today is that, you know, we've actually been given things by God, like prayer and lament to process grief through. So this isn't something we need to run from in our faith, but it's actually something we can lean into and come into the presence of the Father. Um, so why don't you walk us through a little bit more about how we can understand that? Yeah, and I like this idea of leaning into, kind of paired with the poem on survival. It's uh, we do need to lean into God and um, that valley, as I mentioned, it can increase our distress, but at the same time, decrease our ability to cope. And that's why I'm going to hold on to this vision of the valley. And this is why I go to Psalm 23. And I'm just going to quickly read it because we talk about consolation and the comfort of God. I love this um, because it says, and this is a new international version, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He does make me lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides quiet waters and he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right path for his name's sake and this is where i really lean into here is that even though i walk through the darkest valley <clears throat> i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me i decided to do a little bit of uh, research in different biblical texts around this and i found a really nice rendering of this in the message it says yes Though I walk through the deep and the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil. You are with me because your rod is there to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort me. Mm. And then I found in this in the Living Bible, even when walking through the dark valley, and that valley can be deep, it can be wide, it can be dark, and it can be very lonely. And even though when walking through this dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding and guiding all the way. Isn't yeah. that beautiful? I love that. Yeah. 
And you know what, you know, Brian, sometimes I think people can read some of these passages and feel like it's, um, you know, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And it seems like they can maybe read it as a little bit oppressive. Like I have to be free of fear in order for me to be in this relationship with God, rather than reading it as an invitation. It's relational. It's a journey. It's invitational, right? Not a command, but, but more of a calling into something. It is. And it's just that acknowledgement that there are times in our lives when we're going to walk through this valley and not to be afraid, Mm -hmm. but uh, God is so close, guarding and guiding. I love that. That's the living Bible. Mm -hmm. So what I take from this is that we're not meant to walk through the valley of grief alone. Um, I talked a little bit about we come alongside and hopefully we fall in behind and are able to support individuals and hopefully as it says in the book of Romans, that we rejoice with those who rejoice. The Amplified Bible says we share others' joy. And then we weep with those who weep, and we share others' grief. I love that. And so we come alongside. I don't think God wants anybody to walk through the valley. God comes and walks through the valley with us. Mm -hmm. But God also puts people into our lives to walk with them as they go through the valley. And how comforting for us to have that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I think that's, that's great. Um, so we're, ta- uh, we're talking um, next kind of a bit about um, spiritual distress in grief. So oftentimes when people are going through uh, grief or something really big happens in their life, right? It is kind of that moment where a lot of big questions come up, a lot of big um, feelings, things Maybe it feels like the faith you had before doesn't fit you anymore. Um, it doesn't seem mm. to quite answer or relate to life in the way it once did. And you find yourself uh, really questioning a lot of things. Um, what, what's your experience with that? Um, yeah, that's why we're going to spend time in this session looking a little bit more at that spiritual thread that um, the valley is dark and um, our theological assumptions can be tested. <clears throat> We have a faith, we, we maybe have not been through a valley before, and when we find ourselves there, we've experienced a, a loss, a sudden loss, a traumatic loss, uh, we wonder, you know, where are you, God? And, um, and we want to know, is God not there? Has God abandoned me? I'm not, I'm not feeling anything. And so that spiritual distress, it's that sense of being alone in this, and realizing also that this is changing me. And I have to attest to the fact that you don't go through these valleys and come out the other side looking at the world the same way. We're changed, but what does that mean? What does that mean for us as we try to reflect on the spiritual aspect of our life? Because grief teaches us much. It teaches us a lot about ourselves. It teaches us a lot about people. It teaches us a lot about the communities that we live, that we find ourselves in. And for some, if you don't have that life, sense of affirmation, uh, there can be a loss of meaning and purpose in life. That real sense of, man, I don't know if I want to continue along this road. This valley is pretty dark. This is when I think people used to pick up the phone and call somebody. This is when people need to say, maybe I need to to work on this. I'm starting to feel a little bit depressed here. I'm starting to feel that this valley is getting a little too deep and a little too dark. And we find out that people do come alongside, and I appreciate what you said, but grief is awkward. We don't know what to say. And so, as the poem had mentioned, people say the darndest things. And um, 
other people's beliefs don't help us. Uh, what we need is somebody to kind of come alongside and acknowledge. But man, it's hard to find somebody that understands that valley. Yeah. Yeah. So As a matter of fact, I don't think you understand it unless you've been through it. No. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think you can, I think you can be there for people and you can listen. And that's mostly what people need anyways. They don't need you to solve it for them. Um, but you don't truly know unless, unless you've had to walk through that. Um, so um, we're going to kind of jump to um, this idea of the glimpse of the, the grief narrative in the garden of Eden. Um, yeah. And I really love, like, I, I actually, I can I, I am looking forward to this piece of the conversation, especially because I, I really love um, what the Garden of Eden has to say to us, sort of about the context of, of grief. So why don't you sort of walk us through life as it was in the garden and uh, kind of lean into what was and then, you know, the possible losses that came Yes, along. yes. You know, and being mindful, I, I come from that grief background uh, as a chaplain counselor, as a Christian for 40 some years. And I do tend to look at the scriptures with grief in mind. I just yeah. have that, you know, yeah. I can't look at something and read something and say, well, I wonder how they're responding to that. And just looking yeah. at the principles of the grief. And we can go right back to the Garden of Eden in, in uh, chapter three of Genesis and look about life, what it was. And there's a whole narrative in there with the with uh, the trees and the fall. But, you know, life in the garden was a life that had trust. Uh, there was peace in the garden. There was contentment. It was all good. Um, there was an interaction with God, and God's presence was very relevant. There wasn't any fear or anxiety. I'd like to think the joy and the beauty of the garden filled their days. Um, no discord. Uh, their needs were met, and God was just there. Uh, every day. It was this sense of connection and fulfillment and this truest sense of kind of heaven on earth. And, and I'm really thinking back to, you know, when we look at our, the beginnings of our faith, it's in a marvelous way to begin, but it so quickly changes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That the fall happens in the garden. And for anybody, I'm not going to expound biblically today in the text, but if you read three, You'll find that the fall is what I will say it unfolded. And after the fall, um, there was this disconnection with life, this sense of dissonance. Yeah. Uh, where did God fit? Um, the relationship with God became fractured. Um, there was now fear. It was about anxiousness. Um, probably the sense of innocence of course is not there and there's a sense of guilt and shame that you mentioned and where did the peace and the harmony go and there was this disconnection with creation this loss of stewardship the sense of this has all changed and as i mentioned loss is a, our response to the loss of anything we value mm -hmm. is it amazing that genesis chapter three we see this unfolding that all these that were valued all got taken away yeah. in the fall in the garden. And we see Adam and Eve, I think, in this deep place of grief, mm -hmm. this place of just not knowing what's unfolding and using the valley. They're in the valley, not knowing where to go or any context by what to understand that just unfolded. Yeah. 
So in Genesis 3, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Yeah, so beautiful. Again, right right in the very beginnings of, of Genesis, we see a God here that understands what's unfolded. Um, and so the question is, Adam, you know, where are you? And it's not that God didn't know where Adam was. Yeah. It's God wanted to know if Adam knew where Adam was. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get a sense of the bearing. Um, because I don't think Adam did. He, he, his world had been disrupted. Um, it was dissonant. He was disorientated. And so we see a God who seeks, who asks a very personal question, because we, we have a relational relationship with our God. Where are you? And we see God's nature in the fact that he's a God who's interested in his creation. He's invested in his creation, and he's inquiring to our perception of how we're navigating this creation. So we serve a God right after get-go, and we see this right through the scriptures, a God who's invested, interested, and inquiring. And at the same time, we catch a glimpse of God's provision and providential oversight. He closed them. Yep. And we're going to, we're going to pause there, Brian, because you, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but there was a period of time where I remember when I came across that part, um, it's in uh, um, Genesis 3, um, 21, and it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And something that I easily skipped over so many times, right, that I wouldn't have even stopped. But where I was in my life at the time, I remember landing on that verse. And for, what, for, the, for a while, every time I read it, it made me cry. Okay. And I didn't know why, but it would just make me weep. And anybody who's listening, who's actually been in probably one of my short circles, I think I mention it a couple times each time I run anything. Because for me, it's just this pivotal moment. It really speaks to this re- relational God, this God who continues to be interested, invested in inquiring this God who will who continues the relationship, right? And and so I just think that I that the idea of God's provision and clothing Adam and Eve um, is just one of the most beautiful images that I, that I can think of. Yes, and to be and carry a faith that really is so much about grief, but also in the big picture, the answer to grief. Yeah. And so, uh, interestingly, just a note in Genesis chapter four. Uh, grief continues with Cain and Abel. The next generation, we see um, Cain murdering Abel. I mean, how traumatic and how how awful. And this is right in the fourth chapter. And yeah. again, we see a, a narrative uh, and the consequences of loss. And it's not just a light loss. This is a deep, traumatic, homicidal loss. And yet it's within our scriptures. God does not stay away from the depth and the degree of loss. It's right there, right from the beginning, as we go through the Old Testament and New Testament. It's us being dissonant, us being trying to figure out where we're God, and God always coming alongside the individual and his people to be that interested, invested, and inquiring God. Yeah. So I know you wanted to skip uh, kind of ahead a little bit to, to Isaiah chapter chapter eight, where kind of talks around the themes of um, d- that distress and spiritual darkness. Um, 
Yeah, putting it in the valley narrative, we, we see the whole nation of Israel in the valley. Yeah. Uh, if you read uh, Isaiah chapter 8, you get a pretty good glimpse of what that valley looks like. And there's themes of war that are leading up to chapter 9. Uh, there's political upheaval. There's social and spiritual upheaval, societal fractures in regards to what's unfolding because we've got various cultures that are warring and you've got all that interaction and, 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 and it woven into that is a sense of spiritual darkness. There's this nation in the valley that is losing its sense and, and uh, not knowing uh, how to move forward. And God, again, the author, the provider um, is there. And so in chapter nine, verse two, interestingly enough, it says this, that the people, the nation of Israel are walking in the darkness, um, but they've seen a great light in the land of shadow, in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Interesting that Isaiah, kind of standing on the tiptoes, looking into the future prophetically, understands the valley and the people in that valley but also in that valley, there is a light and it is going to dawn. And so we move into a revelation again of God's care. He's interested, he's invested, and he's acquiring of his people. But we get to chapter 9, verse 6. And in the midst of this deep, deep, dark place, Isaiah says that for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. We've just been through Christmas. We're probably familiar with that. But as part of the nature of this child, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And isn't that wonder that, again, as we, we move through Scripture, we see this God as he tries to give that nature that, that, that sense of who this God is, and isn't it amazing that he says that he's a wonderful counselor that has sustained me so often as a, as a professional kind of caregiver and a mighty God and, um, and uh, mighty, able to kind of break through time and space and reveal his presence in the world that we live. And then relational Father and Prince of Peace, again, the nature of God revealed in Christ. And isn't it beautiful that when we're in the valley, right from the get-go in Genesis, right through the Old Testament, uh, we struggle, and yet we see this God continuously coming alongside, falling in behind, mm -hmm. and being there for us. Mm -hmm. And the you know uh, speaking of the mighty one, Psalm fifty uh, verse one says, "The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets." Yes, yes. So we get a snapshot in the Garden of Eden. We get a snapshot um, that um, Isaiah has given us in chapters eight and nine. And then I'm just going to fast forward eight centuries to uh, the New Testament, mm -hmm. um, to specifically the book of John and the death of Lazarus. Because again, it is about, uh, about loss and how it is just woven through the scriptures. And we see this amazing story of this tight-knit community, the disciples 
the families, the community, and Lazarus who has passed. And then we see Jesus, again, God who is invested, interested, inquiry, inquiring, comes to the community. And we see uh, Jesus in this sense of a mighty God. We're going to see his abilities. He's, he's the wonderful counselor. He knows how to come alongside. And there's wonderful interactions that we see between Mary and Martha and others that were in the area. We see this compassionate, empathetical, empathetic, unconditional love of Jesus coming alongside. And um, again, I wish we had time to um, do a biblical uh, exposition of the Lazarus and Jesus yeah. responding to this loss. And thankfully, because I just have to put in a note here that uh, Pastor David um, and his co-host, um, John Andrews, uh, have a webcast uh, podcast yeah. called Two Texts. And they did two set, two years. The first year was on the miracles and this last year was on uh, I should the first the first year was on the uh, parables. The second year was on the miracle of miracles of Jesus. And they take two sessions to look at Jesus responding to the death of Lazarus. So I guess if there's any homework, I would really recommend um, um, going to their podcast. And it's yeah. episodes 19 and 20, because they really give you that overwhelming sense of this mighty God, this wonderful counselor, this Prince of Peace. In the midst of this storm of this community, Jesus's presence is there, mm -hmm. as always, as a provider, um, as somebody who is inquiring, somebody who knows how to come aside. Just on a note, when we look at the narratives of Mary and Martha, we talked about two different grief styles, and we certainly, mm -hmm. we see Martha who's very much uh, cognitive and uh, theologically she's got it. Um, um, and at the same time, she knows I got to go find Mary. And, um, and that she, you wouldn't see her probably the grief, but then Mary comes and we see that feeling style of grief where you wear it on your sleeve at the feet of Jesus. And interesting, you know, we really see the heart of Jesus, the compassionate Jesus, the weeping Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus wept. We see him coming alongside, and um, he was powerfully moved. And to really understand the power and the presence of God in grief, I really recommend having a, a, a listen to their uh, podcast. Yeah, that's a great recommendation, Brian. Um, so we we see, obviously, speaking of miracles, we see these big miracles, and we you call them kind of like these big M miracles. Um, but then we also um, talk a little bit about these small M, these small M moments, these grace moments, which I love when you talk about this, Brian, I've heard you talk about it a few times and explain these grace moments. And I think we'll get a bit more into it in the next, in, the, in session four, but we'll do a little bit of intro to that, what is known as grace moments as we kind of close and wrap up here. Yes, because, you know, as, uh, as we look at all the miracles in the New Testament, I call them the big M miracles, and um, it really reveals the ability for God to move into our valleys and, and the things that God is able to do. In the New Testament, we see the big M miracles, but I like to think of the small M moments, and I call them grace moments. Yeah. 
they're those moments that touch us deeply, that resonate in our spirit. And they're those times when you just know that there's something going on spiritually. This circumstance, this moment, this word happens, but somehow it speaks to our very soul in the midst of the valley. I have a book in my collection. It's called When God Winks. It's a book, I think I picked it up in the 90s. It's written by an individual named Squire Rushnell, and I love the title. I had to get the book just because of the title. I, I do believe within the book, it talks around the family sitting around a big table, and everybody's doing their own thing, and everybody's talking, and there you are, not really engaged, and you look down to the head of the table, and you see your grandfather, and he gives you a wink, and he lets you know in some way that he's there. And I think in grief, um, because we have this God that is so much involved in coming into that place of coming alongside and falling in behind us, I like to think God gives us these little moments, which I call grace moments. And I'd like to think in some ways, it's kind of like God winking. Yeah. He's saying that in the midst of where you're at, as confused and disorientated and fractured as you may feel, every once in a while, something unfolds in this valley. And it's like God gives us a wink and we feel it. And we're going to talk about that on the next session because I get kind of excited about that yeah. because it's where we get grief out of our head and yeah. it moves into that spiritual part of our life, that, that, that soul part where we really need to feel that sense of God's presence. And it's in those moments, I think, that God helps us to get through that valley, knowing that God watches over the valley. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that is a great intro to what is known as grace moments. And we will get more into that next time. But I think that's our time for uh, this third session. And it has been wonderful to be here with you, Brian. And uh, thank you to all those who are listening. Um, if you have any feedback or comments or questions, you feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can email me directly at cwoods at wkc.org. Um, and I uh, hope you are all well, and we will be back here with you again next week. Thanks, Brian. I look forward Brian. to it. I look forward to it. Yeah, great.